Welcome to the Sword and Trial. The Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exist for the recovery of the gospel and reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. I'm Graham Gundon. It's good to have you join us again today, and we look forward to hopefully seeing you at the 2023 National Founders Conference, which is just a little more than a month away here in sunny Southwest Florida. So if you've not signed up for that conference, I encourage you to do so. The theme is What is Man? And we've got Bodie Balkum, we've got uh, Paul Washer, Bradley Pierce, Joel Beakey, who will be coming in town to help instruct us on this vitally important issue. And it'll also be the celebration of the 40th anniversary of Founders Ministries. Founders began November 13th, 1982 in a prayer meeting outside of Dallas, Texas in a hotel room in Euless, Texas. And from that, the first conference began and out of that over the years, all these multiplicities of ministries. And so we'll be acknowledging that. Tom Nettles and Bill Askell and Fred Malone will be joining us. They are part of the original uh, board or committee that met to get things rolling. And so we're going to have a wonderful conversation with them as we reflect on what God has done over the last 40 years. Now, I will warn you, the weather is getting a little crisp. You may notice my sweater. So I got down to like 72 degrees it over the past did. couple days. It did. So. We had to turn on our heat last night. and uh, <laughs> No, it's great weather right now, and God willing, it'll be that way uh, through February. We, we've had our fair share, I think, of uh, not-so-great weather oh, yeah. in recent weeks. Oh, yeah. So uh, the wintertime's a great time to be in southwest Florida. We and do have... There are less than 200 seats available for that conference yeah, as well. That's true. We're, it looks like we're going to sell out pretty quickly, so encourage you to uh, get your tickets if you've not already done so. I mentioned also the pre-conference, which which kind of touches on what we're going to discuss uh, this in this episode. The pre-conference is on uh, Christian nationalism, and it's funny because uh, Vody and I will be addressing that issue, and I see Christian nationalism kind of like a wax nose that people shape to fit on any face that they particularly want to either promote or take shots at. And just the fact that we've announced that topic has provoked quite a bit of response. You know, mm-hmm. I can't believe these guys are going Christian nationalist, you know, and they have the worst scenarios in their mind. And others are, yeah, you know, they're finally jumping on board with mm-hmm. everybody else. So uh, we hope to do a fair assessment of that and uh, lay out our own theological uh, understandings and uh, deal with those issues that have, that have arisen surrounding this issue of Christian nationalism. Well, if you haven't noticed, I have here the first proof copy of a book that we've been working on for quite a while, Jim Renahan's latest volume. It is called To the Judicious and Impartial Reader, which is taken from an introductory letter that uh, forward that was uh, part of the original exposition of what's commonly called the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith that was published in 1677. Uh, we just recently had a podcast with Jim, so you can go back and listen to that, get some of the background on this. I got to switch hands because it's so heavy here. Uh, <laughs> I think it's nearly 700 pages or something like that. And this is not the uh, copy that we'll be mailing out, but this is a proof copy. We're making some little final edits on uh, the cover and how this looks. And then we'll be getting ready to mail this once it's off the press. We, we don't have 
can't give you a hard deadline. The hurricane here threw everything in disarray in terms of our timelines, but we are desperately pressing to get this available as soon as possible. The good news is you can go ahead and pre-order this by going to founders.org and looking it up. And if you pre-order it, it's normally a $44, $45 book, I think, and it's owned for 30 something dollars. It's I forget. a steal. Yeah, it is a steal at that price. But if you pre-ordered it, then you can immediately access the ebook version of this that will be sent to you. And uh, people are doing that. There's some courses that are being taught on the 1689 that are using this, and the students have already accessed that electronic mm-hmm. version for free. And I think the electronic version is like $19 or something. Yeah. So it's a great deal. Encourage you to pre-order it. We look forward to being able to make these widely available. Well, today we want to talk about uh, something that has been in the news a lot the last week or so. It is the what is called the... Uh, Respect for Marriage Act that the Senate uh, took a vote on or acted on last week to shut down arguments and debate about, which is now working its way back through the process with a hope by those who are advocating it that it will become the federal law of the land once uh, Congress does approve it. And uh, when I heard about this, I had some friends alert me to it and ask me my thoughts about it. I hadn't read it. Mm-hmm. I went and read the bill, which we'll link to so that you can do the same. And I was appalled. I was appalled. It's a bill that basically says, calls for what they, they say is respect for interracial marriage and for racial or, and for marriage between same sex people. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a sleight of hand. Yeah, so de- so denying the legitimacy of same-sex marriage is morally equivalent to denying the legitimacy of interracial That's marriage. That's right. You're a racist. And mm-hmm. I remember Vody Balkum uh, addressing this years ago when a Burgerfell was was uh, being debated at that time. And he said, look, said uh, homosexuality is not the new black. Mm. And that's what the argument has been. And so they have effectively linked it to racist uh, fears, mm-hmm. and they've then misnamed it. Respect mm-hmm. for marriage. You're against respecting marriage? What yeah. kind of troglodyte are you? Yeah. So it's been tragic. To, it's a, it, what it is is it's a radical redefinition of what marriage is. Absolutely, which Obergefell did in terms of the Supreme Court's definitions, and uh, it's, it's like they take reality and they say, no, we can suggest that it's other than it really is, and now then, everybody's got to acknowledge that. And if you don't, you're a bigot. If you don't, you can be uh, held liable to transgressing the law of the land. Mm-hmm. So this is a big deal. And I hope that uh, those who have opportunity to communicate with their congressional representatives will do so very forcefully. Because there, there are even Christians, I mean, some Christians that have been outspoken in their faith who in the Senate voted yeah. to press this bill forward yeah. and it's shameful that, that well, would happen. My question is like, how do you, how does a Christian get there where they can argue that yes, this redefinition of marriage contrary to what God has revealed, not only in his word, but also in nature, this redefinition of marriage is good and I should support it. Well, they have been uh, well discipled by the world. It's a point that we've been talking about here for a long time is that you are going to be discipled. Your children are going to be discipled. And the the sad reality is far too often Disney and Hollywood and the educational system and media, social media, have done a far better job 
of discipling than the church has done. Mm. And if we're not awakened to this and we don't realize what's going on, see the day in which we live and begin to take decisive steps, not only to speak the truth and say, this is what God says, but then to show the necessary implications of that truth. This is what God says. Therefore, something like this so-called respect for marriage act is abominable. It is wrong. It is harmful. You can't love people and say, oh, this is a good thing, Mm -hmm. if we're understanding what what God says. So I think it's a matter of discipleship. They they have been led astray, and it's tragic. And I want to lay the the blame primarily at the feet of the church today and the pastors. We've got to do a better job. Yeah, I think that... um are the way that the church has for decades, generations even in this nation understood what we've talked about frequently, um, public theology, political theology, yeah. it's all been very theoretical. We've not, re- it's not had to come into contact with the enemy. Um, mm-hmm. And so now that we're facing some really difficult legislation, the, the church has to, has to deal with um, where I think we've come to the point where we're thinking, yeah, you know, religious uh, arguments are not effective and shouldn't be used when it comes to how we make laws in this land and how we do politics. Um, I think that our, our, our public theology has just been shown to be so defective Mm -hmm. and purely theoretical, not practical in any sense. You're absolutely right. That was the impetus behind starting the Institute of Public Theology here at Founders. I mean, we did that because we saw this coming, and uh, we weren't early. I mean, we I could argue we were very late getting on board with this as well, but praise God we did when we did mm-hmm. because it's at least given us a foothold to yeah. begin to try to recover ground that evangelicals gave up. And, and mm-hmm. we gave it up not because we looked at the leftists and said, hey, we want you to take over. We gave it up because we thought, well, that's not really our purview, yeah. you know, we, we're the church, yeah. and we, it, what, what piety looks like for Christians is to uh, preach the gospel and uh, care for our own and deal just you know in our little sphere right here. We can't be concerned about the broader world, and man, uh, now that you cannot not be concerned. Yeah, it, it's almost like a, some sort of dualistic Gnosticism where there's like the spiritual reality that I really need to be concerned about as a Christian, but all these temporal, political, mm-hmm. physical things, it's just as a Christian, that's none of my business. Yeah, yeah, and again, it, it is a failure, I think, to recognize the clear implications of what God has revealed. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's like we forget that the gospel was revealed in a context. The context is the real world. It's mm-hmm. a Genesis 1 world mm-hmm. with a creator and with creatures. Everything outside of God has been created by God. And we forget that. And so we've just kind of been moved along to think, well, no, you know, this is just the way the world is. And so you got some people that same-sex attracted. you got some people that are misgendered, and so they have to gain their own gender identity, and that is who they really are. And if you don't affirm that, then you're literally killing them. Mm-hmm. And that's the world we have. And it's like, well, okay, how do you how do you act nice and be loving in that world? And we've just forgotten. You know, we said, well, can't, you can still preach the, the gospel in an Obergefell world. You know, nobody's coming in and telling us we can't preach Jesus Christ died for sinners in an Obergefell world. But what we forget is, no, this is a Genesis 1 world, and everything else is a mirage. Mm-hmm. And that mirage is leading people to hell. That mm-hmm. mirage is detracting from the glory of the God who created this real world. Mm-hmm. And we who know him, who, who are called to love him supremely and love other people sincerely, we've just kind of sat back 
and let this happen. And I, I feel the tension. I, and I know we got friends who uh, are very concerned about us addressing these things. And I, I get that because there is a danger, you know, you just become nothing but a cultural warrior and you feel like every day you wake up and you, you know, you got to fight the next battle uh, that's happening on the major scene. And that's not it at all. Mm. But with us, it's no, this is what faithfulness to Christ looks like. We're not living in the 1950s. We're not living in the 1970s. We're living in a world where evil is being called good, good's being called evil, where people are being led to the slaughter mm-hmm. in the name of uh, love and individual rights and pluralism and all these things that supposedly are right and good and, and the way they're being misdiagnosed, uh, mistreated. Uh, we're just supposed to sit back and let it go. You know, we've often talked about Aaron Wren's paradigm of positive world, neutral world, negative world and you know saying that we are in the negative world now and and you know one thing that helps me to kind of understand it in the outbreak of world war one uh western armies were still using um tactics and strategies from like the napoleonic era (laughs) but the world had moved on right it was now mechanized warfare with larger calibers etc and so they're trying to fight a war in which the machinery and mechanisms are far different and they had to quickly adjust to the new type of warfare that they were fighting i think i feel like we're in the we're in that same stage we're the beginning of world war one we're trying to figure out okay how do we fight (laughs) this war now that everything is so changed we thought things were this way things are no longer this way and so we've moved into the negative world and and many of our generals many of our leaders are still living in the napoleonic era that's a great analogy it's a great analogy and uh, i I wrote an article that came out last week at founders about about this very thing i call it a requiem for my nation and one of the big laments in there is our christian leaders Mm -hmm. just asleep at the wheel Uh, so uh, men that i've trusted and men that are smarter, way smarter than I am and uh, better equipped in so many ways to deal with these things that have just fumbled horribly at this point. And I think what needs to happen, what I want to do and what I encourage all of our Christian brothers and sisters to do is to go back to the Bible and to begin to ask these questions. Does the Bible address things like Obergefell? Does the Bible address the uh, so-called respect for marriage act. Does the Bible have anything to say about that? If so, what? And how do you then get from what the Bible says to what needs to be said today in this context? Well, and what I've discovered is, yes, it talks about all of that. And of course, we would say that theoretically, but we've got to figure it out practically and then be willing to have the courage to stand up and say it publicly. I'm not, I'm not convinced that all of our leaders think that it matters that the Bible has anything to say yeah, about it. Yeah. I, I think that, they, that they're convinced that the Bible says things about religion and yet yeah, may have some wisdom for social, but we live in a pluralistic age. <laughs> yeah. We live in a pluralistic society. Not everyone's a Christian. So whatever God says about it, it doesn't matter because they don't believe in God. So you got to use different arguments yeah. in order to persuade them. I know. And what, what is, when you do that, what's going on? You're forgetting Genesis one. Mm-hmm. You're forgetting the fact that God created this world. And uh, I, I grieve over that. So, uh, you know, you, you try to plead with those that you, you know could do better and should do better and uh and yet at some point you just have to say look man you failed and it's time for us to move on and god's people need to rally and we need to rally quickly with clear understanding of what we're up against and what 
is going to be required for us to stand firm in this evil day. And what is that? Well, it's nothing new. Mm-hmm. It's you put on the full armor of God. Uh, Jesus, you know, in John 16 says, you know, in this world you're going to have tribulations, but take heart, I've overcome the world. These things I've said to you that you may have peace. Mm-hmm. What things? Well, it's doctrine. It's doctrine. We've got to come back to fundamental doctrines, and there's nothing more fundamental than Genesis 1-1. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is God's world. Well, we don't believe in that God. It doesn't matter. You don't have to believe in gravity, but you jump off a, a bridge and guess what's going to happen? You're yep. going to go down because this is God's world. And the really important thing here is that God has created the world. He has created everything in it. He's created the world for a specific purpose. And everything he's created within the world has a specific right. purpose. And if those things are not tending toward their purpose, they are bad. Mm-hmm. They are wicked. And so if you want to redefine marriage and say that a man and a man could be married and a woman and a woman could be married, well, marriage is not tending toward its purpose for which God has created it. Therefore, it's bad. It's illegitimate. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Christians and anybody of a religious bent in the West should be um, courageous about saying that. No, it doesn't tend towards its purpose. Therefore, it's wicked, and we're not going to we're not going to allow it. And that's what grieves me with so many of the responses we've seen from some of those you know Christian leaders. You read Christianity Today's response to the Senate's action last week, and it's, well, here's the good news: you know, mm-hmm. freedom of religion is is just protected in this. And David French. My goodness, David French is not a trustworthy guide mm-hmm. on anything anymore. I, mm-hmm. He has missed this so badly in doubling down, talking about you know what a what a good thing it is, what a blessing of pluralism it, it, or, or, with pluralism it is in our country, and uh, how it would be shameful for us to. Um, come now in the wake of Obergefell where people have built good, happy lives together as families and tell them, no, you can't do that. That's not right. I mean, he has been so well discipled by this Mm -hmm. world that no Christian should be following his counsel to think about the world in which we we live. Yeah. Uh, David French, if you're listening, I think you need to learn to code because you're in the wrong career. Yeah. He's just leading Christians astray. It's tragic. And I, you know, I just used to love what David French would, would say. He was so thoughtful, even when I disagreed with him. But now he's not even thoughtful anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's, it's really, I don't know, it's heartbreaking to see that. So he, he made a statement in an article that he wrote about this, and he said that, the, um, that this act coming out of the Senate is a bipartisan step in the right direction. Yeah. It is a bipartisan step in the right direction. Now, how does a Christian, how is it that they're thinking, in their thinking, they can say that this act which enshrines homosexual marriage is a step in the right direction? <laughs> yeah, what's the goal of that direction? Yeah. What's the goal? Well, and then he makes, you know, he makes this point that... Um, you know, the starry decisis point that you often hear for out, out of the courts that, well, Oberger, Obergefell has been the law of the land for years now, and people have gotten married. They've adopted children because, lo and behold, same-sex marriages can't produce offspring. Interesting. Um, they've, they've adopted children. Their whole family is now formed around this law in Obergefell. And if we were to do away with Obergefell, well, that would destroy all these families. But um, and this is this is difficult for many people to hear, and I don't even think that Christians are on a wide scale convinced of this yet. But 
Um, it is not good for children right. to be raised by two parents of the same sex. It is not good for a child to have two fathers and That's no right. mother. It is not good for a child to have two mothers and no father. And there have been studies that have shown this. They're very difficult studies to find on the internet. <laughs> People try to bury them. Um, and we, if we can get them, we'll put them in the show notes so you can look at them yourselves. Um, but this is bad for society. This yeah. is bad for children, let alone bad for the individuals themselves who are engaged in this sin of same-sex marriage. Exactly. And that's where I think the evidence of being discipled by the world more effectively than discipled by the church or the people of God or the Word of God is so evident. You look at your neighbor's and they're happy, you know, they're a homosexual couple, they're happy, uh, they've got children they've adopted, those children seem well-adjusted, they play sports, they go to mm-hmm. school, they're uh, wonderful participants in the community and all, and we are then supposed to look at them and say, well, well look at this, you know, this is good, this mm-hmm. is really good. No, the Bible says, yeah, there are good things about that, and we shouldn't pretend, oh, no, there's nothing that, nothing beneficial that comes out of that. No, God overrules just like you know Hitler was kind to his dog. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's ways that God overrules evil in the world, but what is going on there is they are rebelling against their creator. Mm-hmm. And if we believe the Bible, if we're being discipled by the Bible, if we're thinking God's thoughts after him, in Romans 1, we realize these people are on the way to everlasting damnation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if they call themselves Christian. doesn't matter how nice they are. They are rebelling against their creator. They're going against nature and nature's God. Mm-hmm. I can employ that phrase because God is the God who made the world and made the world the way that it is. And as Christians, we just, but look. Look, they're so nice. Look how happy they are. The, the argument is that, you know, it's better for children to be in a same-sex home than for them to be in the system. And I would yeah. say, no, it's not. Yeah, No, it's not. It's better for them to be in the system than be in a same-sex marriage home. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, uh, that's a hard case to make today in the current climate among the squishy evangelical world mm-hmm. that has been more effectively discipled by the world than the Word of God. Let's listen to David French's actual words. We've talked about it, but let's, let's be fair to him. Let him speak for himself. He writes, Millions of Americans have formed families and live their lives in deep reliance on Obergefell being good law. It would be profoundly disruptive and unjust to rip out the legal superstructure around which they've ordered their lives. Now, just apply that to anything else. Apply that to slavery. Mm-hmm. You know, many, many Americans have ordered their lives around the institution of slavery and are uh, enjoying that as being good law. Yeah. It would be disruptive and unjust. Uh, you can't do it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Going back again to this, let alone going to the Bible, you could go to Aristotle, who says that things are just in only insofar as they tend towards their purpose. Mm-hmm. Does same-sex marriage tend towards the purpose of marriage? Does same-sex marriage tend towards the purpose of raising children properly? No, it is same-sex marriage in and of itself is unjust, mm-hmm. according to Scripture, but then also according to the pagans who can see the nature that God has created. Um, so the unjust thing is to allow same-sex marriage to continue, to allow people to build their families around this unjust law. Yeah, that's right. And this, this gets right back to these fundamental realities we, we've already touched on, but we've got to keep coming back to them. Genesis 1, God mm-hmm. created it, and there's a purpose. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's origins and beginning points, epistemology, and teleology. Mm-hmm. If you get those wrong, yeah. 
you're not going to be right. It doesn't yep. matter how many times you say Jesus. It doesn't matter what you think about piety in your relationship with God. You are missing the whole foundation on which the revelation of God in Christ came to pass. And so you know, we, we've talked about this amongst ourselves as pastors, elders of the church we serve here in Cape Coral, Florida, and even again in our most recent elders meeting. You know, What are we going to do? How do we help our people think about the day in which we live? And, of course, there's a, a multitude of answers to that, and that's just the heart and soul of pastoral ministry, to lead the sheep and to protect the sheep and to help them grow and, and to know God better and to see more people made uh, disciples of the Lord Jesus. But in and through everything else, you can't close your eyes to the world, and you need to be relevant by recognizing the Bible speaks to everything. Mm-hmm. The Bible speaks to everything. And if you don't see that, then you need to go back and just meditate on uh, what the Apostle Paul means when, when he says in 1 Corinthians 2, that I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and crucified. Mm-hmm. He wasn't just saying, I'm going to give you the four spiritual laws. That's right. all I did. No, he's talking about everything is seen in light of Christ. And until we're there or getting on that pathway, we're not thinking right. So we've got to see the world as it really is, not close our eyes to it, but then understand the commission that's been given to us. We are to evangelize and make disciples. Mm -hmm. We are to call people to Christ and see them grow up in Christ. And so the church must never forfeit that responsibility. But we do that with the realization that as you make disciples and you teach them to observe all things that Christ has commanded us, the implications mm-hmm. are never ending. So one of the things, one of the things that I am fully convinced of, founders has hammered this for years from our very inception, and we need to kind of re-highlight it, I think, in this generation, is that we are in desperate need of reformation and revival. Mm-hmm. we got to work for Reformation, we talk about that, the reformation, reformation of local churches and revival because we're not getting out of this without God coming and doing a great work. Yeah. Even if the laws change, the hearts of the legislatures, legislators have not changed, and only God can change hearts. Mm-hmm. And a big reason why we are in this mess uh, societally and politically is because churches uh, have not been reformed. Yeah. And churches have not been healthy, and churches have not proclaimed the truth um, when it comes to uh, a sinner's own state before God and, yeah. and the need for repentance and the need for faith and then the process of discipleship. We've not been, the church as a whole in the U.S. for decades has not been effective at that. Yeah, that's right. And so, brothers and sisters who are listening to this, one of the things we ought to be doing is repenting before God and acknowledging that uh this has happened on our watch, and it has happened while we have had the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and yet we have not stewarded well these gifts. And we need to pray that God will grant to us deep repentance and forgiveness with renewed zeal for His glory and determined to link arms with other brothers and sisters in prayer and storming the throne of heaven, pleading with God uh, to do what only He can do. And uh, we are committed to that. We, we need to be more committed with real sacrifice for that. I think the more God makes us feel our desperation, then the more we will indeed give ourselves to prayer, to fasting, and to uh, standing firm on his word. You know, we have resources here at Founders, and that's a massive part of what we do is trying to produce things that will be helpful to people. And we've just released the audio book 
of Law and Gospel by Ernie Reisinger. Mm-hmm. And that addresses a lot of these foundational issues. We also got another audio book on missions by the book that's just come out as well. But if, if you've not read Law and Gospel uh, by Ernie Reisinger, please get a copy of that. Read it or listen to the audio book because it shows the relevance of God's commands regarding how we are to live, what we are to be, and God's gospel regarding how he has provided for us to meet those demands in Christ. And it's, it's a wonderful uh, kind of primer for uh, Christians who want to take seriously our responsibility to live for the Lord God. We can't do what we do at Founders without supporters, and we're grateful for our Founders Alliance members and churches that support us regularly. If you're not doing that and would like to, uh, contact us. We'd love to show you how you can do that. And we also have a special giving emphasis going on right now. You can go to founders.org, and you can see in conjunction with what is coming up of Giving Tuesday how you can, if you uh, want to partner with us in providing such resources, you can link arms with us by contributing. And we appreciate that for this month any gift that you give of any amount we'll send you a free resource we'll be happy to do that so thank you for listening to the sword and trial we look forward to uh, being with you again in the near future